0: Go Just past 7 o'clock, and wouldn't you know it, it's time for Ira on Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo as well. Massive show on tap for you tonight as we've got so much going on throughout the world of sports. And Ira, I don't know how you feel, but I'm pretty excited that when we go on air next Monday night, we will be one week of football under our belts. This is the, it's the sports heaven for us right now. Well, you got. This is something.
1: Remember, a lot of people did not think that college football was going to start. A lot of people. There was doubts about pro football but I mean they've had what 100,000 tests in pro football and no positive cases they're going forward with pro football some teams are going to have fans Uh, college football you have two conferences the Big 12 and the ACC starting we have Miami Hurricanes football on Thursday night so this is ready I mean I'm pumped that we have fantasy football drafts we're ready to go this is going to be awesome everyone's excited and uh, I'm glad and then plus with all the other sports that are going on and that's it's like it's that's what makes it so exciting I mean look I was wearing Penn State colors today I think besides (laughs) the Penn the, the Big Ten and the back 10 they are like the only team's not playing. Everything, everything else is going, ahead,
0: going uh, strong. No, you're absolutely right. And yeah, I got my uh, final fantasy draft tonight, so I got some nerves building up about that. But enough about us. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about sports. And Ira, we got to see uh, some great golf this weekend and into tonight. And the Tour Championship is going to be in the books.
1: Well, just so people understand what this tour championship was. They might have remembered two years ago when Tiger won it. Um, and just – it was – what they did, though, for this year was it was the, it's the final event, the winner of the FedEx Cup and everything, gets 15 million dollars as money not, not as prestigious as the majors, but it is – besides the majors, it's the most prestigious tournament to win. But it's built up from the entire year. They start in September, and they weren't their FedEx points. So so throughout this whole year, you weren't at FedEx points, and that's how Dustin Johnson – went into this championship, and the way they decided was they did not want to have a FedEx winner, a tour championship winner of the, the tournament, and then also have a FedEx winner of points. So they decided to stagger the, the, the standings, so Dustin Johnson led with a 10-under, Rahm, 8-under, Thomas, 7-under, Webb Simpson, 6-under, and Colin Maricaro, 5-under. So they started it just like that and that's how they started for the day and for the, on Friday. So I like what some of the golfers said. It's like we felt like if the ones that started at, there were 30 golfers, like Rory was at 300, seven back. He said, my attitude was, that I'm three back going into the second day. Like I had a bad first day, mm. and I'm seven back off the lead. So that's how it was. So this is what. So the winner of this tournament wins the FedEx, and that was Dustin Johnson. He won the tournament and he wins the FedEx Championships, and uh, just in dominating fashion.
0: Yeah, he's had a, a just a terrific year, and I, I think he's going to be Player of the Year. You can't really, um, you can't really vote any other way. He's just been uh, phenomenal. But you want to talk about uh, how we got here? Because I kind of knew that Dustin Johnson with this lead was going to be very hard to catch, and then it proved to be true.
1: A little back to Justin Johnson, because he's from, like, I live at Banyan Cave. He, he plays down there, so I, I certainly see him on the course. I mean, he's one of the many, many golfers from West Palm Beach. But he's had now four straight starts with a 54-shot lead. He's only won one of the tournaments. <laughs> he won the TPC in Boston. He lost to Kara in the PGA Championships. He lost to John Rahman in Chicago, and now he won that. So he's won two of the four. Um, but that hasn't been done since Tiger of 1999. That just shows you what dominance Justin Johnson has had. And, uh, you know, look, he's been number one in the world. 64 weeks, it's the fifth longest reign. I mean, not actually 93 total, but he was from 2017 to 1864. 64. He was, uh, if you just look at in the majors, people say well, his one major win, but, and he's been the money leader in the last few years. He's either been fifth, first, second, second, seventh, or fifth. Um, in the U.S. Open, I mean, he's just been just dominant in terms of winning, in terms of being, winning his one U.S. Open, but since 2014, he was fourth. Second, first, he missed the cut. Third, second, second. So here's someone who's like the one major. When you compare him to Grand Slims, Rory won four, Brooks won four, Steve has won three. He's only won one, but it's just everything else from money to, to – he's had six world golf victories at these world golf championships when all the best golfers play. Only Tigers ever won more than that. So really it's just, you know, he's now coming to zone. And you would think, well, he's 36 years old. I mean, he still has – I mean, this is someone – you look at Dustin Johnson who – I mean i 'm telling you six seven majors like it really you 're feeling you're seeing someone who can have those long drives, his putting is improved, his short game is improved, and he 's just ready to go and and and, and I think look. There's been a lot of pressure on him. He starts this tour championship at two shots uh, two shots under uh, at two under uh, with a two shot lead. And Rahm, in the first day on Friday goes up and ties him. So after the first day, John Rahm is tied at thirteen under with him, and John Justin Thomas is back at eleven under, and Rory is at, at nine under. You know you have all the big names in this. I mean, in terms of playing and then on Saturday, and I think this is where. He really wanted, he had a bad day, mm-hmm. but he still stayed at 13 under, even par. Sanjay M came up at a six under, win with Sanjay from Honda Classic, 600 to go to 12 under. Alexander Shoffley had five under. He won this, the tournament as a rookie in 2017. Justin Thomas at 10 under. Uh, but then on Sunday, you know, so I think on Saturday he didn't lose the tournament, but that gave him the pressure on Sunday. So then he shot a 64, six under par. He took a spot lead going into today's round. And on, uh, on, on Sh- and Shoffley and Justin, Thomas, Morikawa didn't really not you – know Morikawa, uh, and uh, Morikawa was seven shots back. Ron was seven shots back. Uh, but today, it was uh, – you know, Justin – look, you're ahead of two really good golfers in Shoffley and Justin Thomas. And in the first front nine, Justin Thomas today, five birdies, two bogeys. Uh, Justin – but DJ, three birdies on three, five, and six. But then he had some big par saves. He had a bogey on seven and a bogey on eight. But then he had a 21-foot par save. He had a, about a 12-foot par save. And then he just held on. I mean, it was just, you know, certainly we just, it just ended an hour ago and we're watching what happened on 16 and 17. And, and, and it's like, they went up to Justin Thomas, got up to 18. Then he bogeyed and went back. Uh, Xander Shoffley got up to 18, bogeyed and went back on six, seven. So they, you know, on 16, both Justin Thomas got to 18 and Shoffley got to 18, two strokes back. But Dustin Johnson just stayed there, hitting pars, wasn't birding, but just made those great shots. And then on 18, when they're, you know, certainly going for Eagles, it's a par five. You know, Dustin Johnson hit the perfect, 350-yard drive right down the center uh, and is able to, to uh, actually birdie it out and win by three strokes over uh, Shoffley and Thomas. But it was like one of those wins and, and that's what you've got to give some credit. The pressure was on him. Almost it's been the pressure's been on him almost whatever. So that since you know he what he lost last uh, week to Rom but still held the lead in the, uh, in the in the BMW championship. But for him for four days now with the best golfers in the world, just breathing down his neck to hold on, gotta give him credit. Just an amazing victory, amazing year. It's like weird to say it's an amazing year when we have the US open in two weeks. <laughs> so but it was an amazing year. And I agree with you. They're gonna I think they're doing it is is the is the year winner is going going to be now so clearly he'll be the the year winner because he of his his performance in the pga and plus he won the fedex championship and the number of tournaments he
0: won you're listening to ira on sports on the true oldies channel i'm mike balsamo and ira before we move on from golf what a great idea to have this finish up on labor day really gives everybody something to do all day labor day you know with all the sports going on today's kind of quiet especially during the day so this is every sports fan was glued to their tv all sunday afternoon i mean monday afternoon
1: yeah, I mean, it was great, and I think the way they did it was 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 super. Look, we've been talking about this for a while. Uh, uh, um, golf has done everything right, everything right. The tournaments have been great. They got back fast they were playing. I mean, the first ones back, the tournaments have been exciting. And this is without Tiger Woods. Remember, Tiger did not play in this tournament. There's the top 30 golfers in the world. Tiger was not in this tournament. The ratings have been great every single week. Um, and then you have guys come up and it's like, the fact that the golfers are playing, i got to give golf t- just so much credit. Because you have, they, they had a compressed schedule and you're thinking, well, oh, the tough golfers are going to take weeks off. And like, they, they've been doing. But no, they're playing every single week. They're doing everything. They're playing um, and just compelling golf at the highest level. And and again, you know, we talked about the fans, I, you know, you like the fans there. I don't miss them. I don't miss the fans. I can watch it without the fans, you know, because because usually when they hit the shot, you don't really hear the screaming it's not like constant, like at a basketball game. Uh, but uh, I, look, you got to get, I got to give, you got to give golf tremendous credit for getting this through. It's been a great season. And, and the fact that in two weeks you have the U.S. open and you just got to like Dustin Johnson's chances at, uh, at Wingfoot uh, in New York, up by Scarsdale, New York. I was really looking forward to go to this tournament this year, but no fans. And then in November we got the Masters. So usually, and then what they I'm noticing what golf has done. You're going to see tournaments now in November, in, in October, that they're going to bring into Vegas is going to have, I think, two tournaments tournaments uh, that they're going to have uh, that they, they're moving forms that used to be in Asia that these are minor tours that pe- the players don't play but they're going to play in these to stay sharp because you have the Masters in November so this is going to be yeah, another great exciting time for golf uh, just doing a great job now we'll see against football playing on Sundays if we are going to watch it but uh, very interesting and, and just tremendous just a, what a great Labor Day finish
0: you know Ira we have been saying on this show that you know me and you both totally agree golf kn- knocked this out of the park and you know the ratings back it up and you share the ratings with us you know every week and i'm I'm shocked at how much of a market share golf has over some of these other sports you'd think basketball would be just blowing people out and they're really not And, and sports like golf have been up there so it's not just us that thinks this the public is all over it too
1: yeah, and West Palm Beach clearly uh, the ratings. I like, so every week now, West Palm Beach is the number one ranked uh, metro area to watch golf, which doesn't surprise you. But the fact there's so many golf courses, but the fact that it's into it, and and I just think the compelling names. I mean, now you're starting to see the Justin Thomases and the Rorys and the Dustin Johnsons and John Brahms. I mean, these names are names that people follow. They're exciting how they prepare. It's just this is great. I got just tremendous golf uh, and, and making big shots. Every tournament comes down to the wire. Uh, just and, and and the golfers have been you know, grade and give good interviews, all those things, and, and look, and they haven't complained about all the all the protocols in place. Jay Monahan, that's a Mr. I love to get him on the show. I mean, to really compliment <laughs> him. And uh, but I do think when you watch these golf tournaments, you have got to see that there's so many of these golfers are really just do a tremendous job in terms of these golf you know uh, tournament directors and setting up these tournaments.
0: So maybe we can talk to our buddy Ken Kennerly, maybe see if he can get Jay Monahan on here on Ira on Sports. <laughs> um, let's go ahead to to tennis, and Ira, you're the big tennis guy. And I had to ask you here, what actually happened with Novak Djokovic? Because I think for the average fan, you kind of just saw the clip and said, wait, what happened?
1: Well, first of all, understand about the men's tennis under this draw. There's, when We went to the U.S. Open. Now, two weeks from now, after this is over, they're going to play the French Open. A lot of the European players said, wait a second. I don't want to go to play at the U.S. Open. I have to come back to France, and we're going to have to quarantine. I can't practice. I like to play in clay. I don't want to go to hard courts, which is what the U.S. Open has. They don't want to go back. Kubik is like, no, I have 17 majors. I'm the number one player in the world. I'm playing this tournament. Nadal didn't play. Federer's had surgery, but a number of other top players did not play. But the way his draw shaped up was perfect for him to actually go through. And he, he struggled the first couple of matches, but but he was he was he was he was he was, he was, he was you know playing great and 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 doing a, uh, you know just rolling through it. Uh, I wasn't even watching the match. I mean, I was certainly focused on golf and, and other things. And someone's texting me. There's a problem in the Djokovic match. And look, I, it was, to me, the worst decision I've ever seen. I, I, I can't believe it. So Djokovic lose, is playing in the first set of a match. He just got broken, so it's 5-6. And he just takes the ball and just flips it back to the backstop, which people do all the time. I have gone, I sit there with the U.S. Open, how many, from, from 11 o'clock in the morning till 1, 2 in the morning. Like, I'm there the entire day, and I see it all the time. You lose your surf, you lose anything, and you just hit it back. Even if you win, you're like, yeah, I won, and you hit it back to the back He happens, he just hits it back, wasn't hard at all, wasn't like a swing, it was just like a flick of his wrist. It happened to hit a lot, li- it hit a lines judge in the neck. So this woman who's, uh, it, hit, it hit her in the neck, and then she fell on the ground, and it's like, at first, I'm like, oh, this is terrible this happens, but I see ball boy's get hit all the time. I see linesmen get hit all the time. I see everybody get hit. In this tournament already, a cameraman got hit by someone hitting the ball back. And a lot of times they're hitting the balls, and they're doing things, but I see on serves, 135 mile an hour serves are pounding linesmen. Like linesmen want to wake the call. Like I'm standing right behind a linesman, they want to make the call, and they like let the ball hit them because <laughs> they, want to stand. they want to stay you know. So in this situation, yes, it hit her, but she got up, she's fine, she's resting in her hotel, she doesn't to go to the hospital or anything like that. And then they default them from the tournament. So here's the number one seed, the number one draw, and you default him from the tournament. Not give him a warning, ball abuse, those things, and that's what I'm. What makes me so upset is everybody in ESPN. Like if you, got, if anybody listened to ESPN, listened to John McEnroe and Patrick McEnroe and everyone else, Christy McHenry and all the people, they're like, oh, that's, it was the right decision. They had no other decision. It, it's, it's insanity. It's absolute insanity to throw him out. They could have given him a point penalty. I have seen players. If you watch Nick Kyrgios play. Every single point. He's hitting the ball in the stands. He's hitting the ball somewhere else. I guarantee you these balls are hitting people all over the place. He's breaking rackets. He's throwing stuff. He's getting penalties and warnings and these things and that things. And they're doing it. And every player does it. Now, Jim Djokovic has a hot temper, too. He's known for this. But the point is, it was a clearly a mistake. He didn't take and fire the ball. He didn't take a swing. It was just he was hitting it back to the backstop. It hit the woman. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I talked to somebody with a line in there. It's like, she should have got out of the you know, Either guy. Away way or put your hand up or block it. Again, it happened earlier in the tournament and a camera guy, we saw the ball coming and ducked a little hit his shoulder. But I mean, I've been at these tournaments and these balls fly into the crowd. I mean, I agree. If he hits you in the neck, it's sad. was clearly an accident. He did. He wasn't even mad at the linesman. People like think, oh, it's mad at the linesman. He wasn't hitting at the linesman. Not himself for, for blowing the game. It just was sort of, a, but it was a flick. He does it almost after every single game. It happened. She was standing there. His flick wasn't right. She had moved a little over to where the line, it was, she hadn't move off the line. Usually when the game is over the linesmen take a break and they clear out. They don't stand on those lines. So she was still there, I think, a little too long, and, and that's where he hit it. And uh, just horrendous. Now he's out of the tournament, and now the tournament loses their draw. And this is why tennis is so stupid and golf is so smart. Because I don't think – look, golf had all these rules, you know, where they were penalizing people if you signed the scorecard wrong or somebody called in and saw someone ball move and Tigers getting these penalties and, and Dustin Johnson, you saw – and golf was like, we can't have this. We can't get rid of our players with stupid things like this. We're going to stop this. So golf got it right. Tennis? No. They're going to just get rid of Djokovic. Their only main draw, the only person that people are watching, just get rid of them out of the tournament. Absolutely pathetic. And then they play, like, even like last night, Asaka, who's a former winner two years ago. She's playing. They put her on. They didn't need to put her on. Put her on 11.45 at night. I'm staying up to 1, 2 in the morning watching this. You don't need to put them. You don't put, you put your top, one of your top female draws on at 11.45 at night. You, you default Djokovic at that, and you wonder what the ratings of tennis are going to be in the in the,
0: the toilets. Just stupid. The whole thing is crazy. It was even to a casual fan, you could really tell it wasn't malicious, and it was just crazy how everything shook out. And like you said, for being their top draw, kind of a curious move. But you know, it is what it is. And I think if the if the, the young lady hadn't have fallen down, maybe it looked worse, Ira, on TV and to the fan than it actually was, because obviously she's fine. It was just a tennis ball casually hit. But I think maybe that maybe played a part.
1: Yeah, I mean clearly because she fell and and those things that happened but uh I just thought this was I- Again, next Sunday, they're going to have the men's final in the U.S. Open. And Djokovic's not going to be in It's going to be either on his side of the draw, Sasha Zarev or Gork or Booster or Shavala. You don't know. Nobody knows. I'm talking to you. Nobody knows any of these guys. Okay. It's going to be a no-name on the top side. And then theme or Medvedev is going to be on the bottom half. And, and um, Theme we've seen from the U.S. Open. We've seen it from the Australian Open. This, the, the match he had against Djokovic in the Australian Open was one of the best matches I've ever seen in my entire life. It would have been great to have him back. Or Medvedev, who played Djokovic in the U.S. Open final last year. What a great match. Wouldn't that be good on Sunday? Maybe, like, the good to four o'clock football games aren't that good. Put this game on. Let's see what happens. No. Now they're going to have a joke. It's going to be theme or Medvedev for someone no one's ever heard of. Maybe Sasha Zarev from Russia would be in it. But it's not. It's just stupid. Just stupid. Djokovic, I have no... This is And, you know, he didn't have to play in this Open. He came to the Open when all these other superstars in Europe aren't coming to play. He goes through the protocols, does everything, and then he gets defaulted from a tournament like. Un- it's just, I'm just shocked, and I'm sick of the commentators. And like Patrick and John McEnroe. John McEnroe, who breaks rackets and throws things all over the place, is saying, that, oh, he should have been defaulted. How many times There's been one time, like one time McEnroe was defaulted for his actions, but I've seen him in like 50, 60 matches act just like that where he wasn't defaulted. So they showed some instances, whoa, this ball hit this person, and that's what they did. But the point is that it was leading up to those things. It was an incident after incident. There was nothing leading up to this. So they just decided, oh, mistake, honest mistake, Oh, we're throwing you out. We're we're gonna end you instead of giving a point penalty, a game penalty. No, just throw him out of the tournament. It just end the tournament. Ridiculous.
0: Absolutely ridiculous. Let's talk about what's actually happening um, with the people that weren't thrown out of the tournament because I know. Well, uh, the only
1: good, exciting. Go yeah. Well, we have had Francois T.F.O. on our show twice. He's the last long, remaining American. He is like one of the biggest, heaviest underdogs you can imagine against Medvedev just tonight. But uh, so he's so he's playing tonight. Um, Americans didn't do well. Isner lost in the first round to Steve Johnson. Uh, Taylor Fritz won two. Rounds, uh, but then lost to shop A love. and the only exciting thing from a men's perspective is JJ Wolf from Ohio State. We've never seen play. he won two rounds and then lost to the uh one of the star players from Ohio State. So it's nice to see. But in general, to have you're at your, the round of sixteen and have only one American make it. Again, men's tennis in America is difficult. It is not going to get popular in America unless because soon Federer and Nadal and joker are going to retire and all. If we don't start getting uh, great uh, young Americans, I know this sounds whatever, raising the flag, whatever, but you really need to have those American tennis players because it's going to take a while for the themes and the Medvedevs to get the, to get popular like Nadal Djokovic, Federer. and tennis has had this great run with these great individuals, these great players, these great personalities, and they can't do anything with it. I mean it's embarrassing for tennis to think you've had Serena and then you have all these other players and now ten- and tennis' is, ratings is down, the popularity is down, and they're doing everything wrong and now. You have them at u.s open
0: no one's there but it's just a mess so let's uh, you, you brought up serena williams let's talk about her because she's looking pretty good how are the women doing
1: Well, she's in the quarters, and and, there are the men. Look, 30 Americans, because so many people, only half the top, I think, uh, 36 or 32 females entered the tournament. So they bring into a lot of wild cards. You bring a lot of American women. So almost 30 Americans of 128 made it. Uh, And uh, we have Jennifer Brady in the quarters. We have Jennifer Brady from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 25 years old, played at UCLA. She defeated Angelique Kerber from uh, Germany in round of 16. And she has a good chance to make uh, uh, the quarter finals. Uh, On the other one, you have Naomi Osaka, who we've seen. Now, she's Japanese, but she's been lived in America her whole life. Uh, People are familiar. She won it two years ago. She's playing Shelby Rogers, uh, American, 27 years old from South Carolina. That's the top half of the draw. And then in the bottom, you have uh, Serena uh, she, she this is she's going for history. Unlike you know, Djokovic was trying to get his 18th win. Serena has 23 majors. The record is 24. She wins this. She ties Margaret Court's record that stood for 50 years. Uh, ties that. Uh, she beat Sloane Stevens and who won the U.S. Open three years ago uh, in the in the round in the what, round of 32 or whatever, 2-6, 6-2, 6-2, and uh, she won again today. Tough match, but one more win. She's in the semifinals, uh, and uh, she's you know, so it's, it's she's in she's in she's in good shape in terms of of uh, playing well. But it's really for her, it's can she get through? Can she get through the tournament and she beats herself? She doesn't beat herself. She plays her game. This could be it. I think she just puts so much pressure on her to get this 24th title. We've seen her lose in the finals like the last, I think, three or four times, um, I think. but you know, it, but, And then we have Sophia Kennan, uh, the 2020 Australian Open winner. She's 21 years old. She might in the bottom half of the draw meet Azarenka, uh, who was the Open Finals in 2012-2013. So it could be Serena versus Sophia Kennan in, in the final or Azarenka, which would be an exciting match, too. So, But uh, Coco Goff uh, down there in Delray, she lost in the first round. Allison Risk from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, she was the 13th. She lost the second round. Venus lost in the first round. But there's so many Americans. I mean, if you look compare men's tennis to women's tennis, there's so many great young Americans that in these tournaments, some of them are just going to play well. You have so many chances. <laughs> but you're, we're looking for consistency. And the women's game of the last, I think, 13 majors, there's been 11 different winners. So you're really looking for some of these these other players not just to win a major and then disappear, but actually win a major and back it up with other majors. Uh, and that's what we're looking for. But uh, look, I, this is, so keep your eye on Serena and then... I guess next it would be Friday. Would be the theme Medvedev semifinal, which should be fantastic, absolutely fantastic. But short of the final should be a disaster. And they say, oh, you know, should be a walkover in terms of theme and Medvedev winning. It would have been great to see Djokovic in that final against Medvedev or theme and have a great five-set match. But we're not going to have that.
0: You're listening to Iron Sports True Oldies channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. Let's uh, change gears. Go over to the NBA and Ira. I don't think it was any big surprise that that Giannis took down uh, the Defensive Player of the Year award.
1: Well, yeah, we, we were going to mention this last week, and I really wanted to bring up the two awards that, that been. A, there's been two awards: a rookie of the year, a defensive player, and Giannis won defensive player of the year. But you got to give for the Heat. Bam had a bio credit for He got. He was a number four. Uh, just a great job from Bam. The improvement of where Bam. Remember, Bam was drafted behind Whiteside, growing, and now you see just developing. It's fun when you watch the Heat like we do on a daily basis and see these young players just developing into superstars because it doesn't happen. They're, most cases are not like LeBron and they don't come in the league and are superstars. And then you got to give Kendrick Nunn credit. How about this? John Morant finished first for the Rookie of the Year, 19 out of 21st place votes. So well, Zion Williamson didn't finish second. He finished third. Kendrick Nunn, I mean, could you imagine if Zion has this amazing career and he's going to be, like, one of the greatest players ever? And then they'll say, well, you finished third to John Morant, who's also going to have probably a tremendous career. But who finished second? Kendrick Nunn, an undrafted rookie. Got to give Pat Riley credit for that.
0: No, absolutely you do. And you got to give Riley credit for a lot, the way he's put this team together. So let's talk about that, Ira. I, I, I don't want to say I was pessimistic. I thought that the Miami Heat were going to give um, the Bucks a good run for their money. I didn't think that, you know, just two days ago, they'd be up 3 nothing in this series. It's now 3-1, to but Miami is in the driver's seat here. Miami's in the driver's seat. I'm really
1: upset at what happened in Game 4. We're going to run through the games pretty fast. But I was – they really had a chance to sweep – um, went with Giannis out of the game, and they took their foot off the pedal. And that was a disaster on their part. Uh, they really played poorly. Uh, someone who watched the Heat all year, they had these moments, and you just thought that they, when they saw Giannis out of the game in that game four yesterday, that they just sort of didn't try. I mean, they felt like Giannis is out. We've already beat the teams team with Giannis. Yeah. And they, because the first game, I mean, these have been just <laughs> such tremendous games. I mean, that first game, That's where you bring Jimmy Butler in. Like, there's games where Jimmy Butler, and we saw two games ago, where he doesn't really do much. But in that first game, he sensed that he needed to do something. He sensed this is the first game. And this is why you pay Jimmy Butler $33 million. And you are whatever, because he scores 40 points in the game. Joining Wade and LeBron, the only Heat players that ever scored 40 points in a playoff game. When, when Duncan Robinson is one for four and he rode three for 11, Butler comes in for that 40 points in that fourth quarter is just amazing. And I got to give credit. Look, you watch this game. You look at Jay Crowder playing defense on Giannis. I mean, it's a team effort, spam out of bio. But every game, they, they're starting with Crowder guarding Giannis. And Giannis was having difficulty. And and, uh, you know, Bledsoe and Middleton didn't really get off, and they didn't play so well. But it was just, I like how the Heat end the game. They have Crowder in the game. They have Butler in the game. And they, interestingly, they put Hero in that game with Drogic. Uh, who, Drogic had 27 points in that first game. But uh, that was just, it was like one of those games where just Butler came on in that fourth quarter when they had that lead and was, look, the Bucs were going to come in. I mean, Bucks had the best record in the NBA the last two years, and just to win that first game was, was crucial. And then, and then the funny thing is to back it up in that second game, which was just, Totally crazy, uh, where where they were, uh, where they were, you know, the Heat were had this lead. You know, they were up ten with uh, with six with, so it was ten with the final minute, six with twenty seconds to go, and then Jimmy Butler, who I'm giving credit on the first game, but makes one of the stupidest. I mean, you know, when you're in grade school, not <laughs> to throw the ball back to the basket if you're trapped. He throws the ball back in the corner, and uh, and they and it I literally threw it to Brook Lopez, who dunked the ball. Like it was like the worst plot that you'd have thrown <laughs> it down the court, up in the air, anywhere. He had a timeout, and then uh, then he gets fouled. So they tie the game. He gets fouled. It only makes one to two, so they're so they're up three points. And then uh, just one of these terrible fouls where they called. Milton was fouled by Drogic uh, from Milwaukee. He makes all three, and uh, but then uh, but then at the end of the game, so now it's a tie game. Comes down there. And Butler, I think this was a makeup call because Butler drives and Giannis fouls him with no time left. Like at first, you thought, okay, overtime, and then he gets fouled, and then he makes one shot with no time left on the foul side. So there's no time left on the clock, and they win the game. But it was—I uh, thought that was a makeup call. I think that the Middleton foul was a joke that Drogic had. I mean, Dragic just was standing there. Middleton shoots. Uh, I just didn't understand why it was a foul. Uh, but the Bucks were terrible I game, seven for 25 from threes. The Heat were 17 to 45. And I'm telling you something. I don't think it was that the Bucks were so bad 7-for-25, like, oh, that's a bad shooting game. But you watch the Heat play. They're flying at the Buck shooters. I mean, they are playing great defense. They are right. They're just to, you when you put Andre Goddard in the game, and the Bam at a bio in the game, and yeah, and you, and you, even Kendrick Nunn, the contributions from him, and the fact that Hero's playing well. I'll tell you, the comes in and scores 11 points, like, I love this team. I, that's why I said, I think Spolster knows how to use the players and use them right, and Holzer from Milwaukee just seems, you know, making mistake after mistake after mistake. So, I, you know, I, I love the fact that you know, they were able to get that win, and then Game Three, you know, again one fifteen one hundred, the Heat were down eighty seven seventy five going into the fourth. So look, they're eighty seven seventy five, they're down. They're like, okay, it's going to be a two one series. They go on an eighteen four run. They outscore in the fourth quarter of the Bucks forty to thirteen, and with a seventeen to one run at the end of the game, the Bucks were zero and ten from the four, from the. Uh, uh, from the three-point line in the fourth. This was the Heat's biggest comeback ever, even bigger than they were down 10. Remember, Game 6, NBA Finals, the Ray Allen shot. They were down 10 going to the fourth quarter. This was even better than that. Um, so they put the Bucks in a hole up 139 to – 139 to zero have teams that have been up 3-0. So no one's ever come back. Only in hockey have they come back. And then everybody knows about the Red Sox and the, and the Yankees <laughs> many years ago with that. But then uh, – you know, Game four, it was just one of those things where Giannis goes out in that first game. He gets hurt. He uh, gets in the first quarter. He had been hurt the previous game, and I just think the Heat just let up. They didn't try. They, they looked sloppy the entire game. They had an eight-point lead in the fourth quarter, but then they let the Bucks score 12 points in a row. Uh, and just a mess at the end of the game. They tried to trap. So they hero hit the three to take the lead by one. Then on defense, they, they didn't play great defense. They let Dante DiCenzo drive. He got fouled. He should have won the game there, but uh, but he only made one foul shot and you know, two foul shots. And then Drogic had a chance to win the game in the, in the regulation. He doesn't score. And they go to overtime. They score two points in the first. I mean, he almost had a feeling after they didn't win in regulation that they were going to somehow blow this. They score two points in the first four minutes thirty seconds. So they're up three uh, one. They you know played uh, you know but but again, you're just concerned to play tomorrow night. You're just concerned that uh, uh, that you know how this team you know just yeah, end this series. Like don't let a team like Milwaukee. This is not some underdog. I mean, Giannis could come back. He could give motivation to the team. You don't know. Uh, just end this. I mean, you don't. Want, you don't want when you're when you have 139 to o. You don't want to be the team that that is 139 to 139-1. You know, you don't want to be the one team that blows the lead, because everyone knows that the Yankees were the only baseball team to blow a
0: 3-0. So that's twice. You have to bring up the 0-4 ALCS right in my face, Ira. I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, well, we can start
1: talking about this year. I don't know. Maybe that would be better to talk about that that the Yankees than you want to talk about the Yankees this year, because, as I said, we're going to go to baseball in a second, but I've never... What the Yankees are doing this year, if George Steinbrenner was alive, I think we'd be through our third manager at this moment. Like, there would not be one manager. We'd be... We'd be they hate Billy Martin could be 80 years old and they're bringing him back. (laughs) There's no way that a team, when Buster Olney says they're going to, this is the best regular, best roster we've seen in 20 years, is a team that is like battling Baltimore and Detroit. It's unbelievable how poorly the Yankees are playing. But I don't want to
0: diverge baseball. Just twisting that knife more and more, Ira. Uh, You did bring up uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's still not ruled out for Game 5. So, like you said, playing or not for for the Greek freak, they need to close this out uh, sooner rather than later. Don't let them hang around. Like you said, this isn't some scrub team. They can definitely reel off some wins. Um, So, let's go to Boston and Toronto. And I got to tell you, I was a little bit worried when Toronto went down two games to nothing. But like the reigning champs and consummate professionals they are, they've battled back, and that series is now tied.
1: Well, exactly what we're talking about the Heat. Boston, uh, in a situation, they're up 2-0. They go, and, 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 and the difference is, like, when you're not that much better than the other team, it's like, like, if you're away, if you're better, like, you're playing Brooklyn or whatever, and you're up 3-0, you're not, you know, we lose a game It doesn't work, the world doesn't come to an end. But when you're not, when you're even, if you watch these games, like Toronto did not play that well, that first game, they, they played terrible. Van Fleet was three for 16. they were 37% shooting uh, Tatum Walker and smarter Brown. I mean, Boston looked fantastic. Second game. They come back. Marcus smart. Look, Marcus smart made five threes in a span of three minutes. Without that, I don't think they win that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Raptors missed 22 of the last 28 shots. And the, so it's only one by three. So after this twenty three of the last twenty shots, Walker makes five threes in three in, in five threes in three minutes, and he still barely wins. So then you go to game three, and I want to tell you something. I, it was like one of the weirdest calls, the weirdest games that you've ever seen. And and really, at the end of the game, the uh, the Celtics had it had it was it was a tie game, and Kemba Walker made this play. I was texting people. It's like. I would rather have Kemba here than Kyrie. Kemba Walker is dribbling around; it was tremendous. It, all throughout the point, it looked like he was going through Gasol, Van Fleet, everything, and then he was able to get a wide open pass to Tice Ty, who dunked the ball in for the Celtics, giving them a two point lead. So there's 0.5 seconds left for Toronto. So 0.5 seconds left, and they're going to be down 3-0. And what does what does the Celtics do? They put Taco Fall, who hasn't been in the game, who's seven foot five, but they haven't been in the game the whole season, have him on the ball. Where I would have not had nobody on the ball. Like, I would have had someone play center field because there's no chance once the person got the ball, you can't throw it back to the guy who had mounted the ball. So I'm, I'm, look, I'm criticizing Brad Stevens, who's the biggest genius in the world. But the fact is, I just didn't understand what they were doing with this play. And you have Taco Fall there and Ty and Lowry through this perfect, like, you're not going to see Patrick Mahomes throw a pass like that at 55 <laughs> feet across the court to a- OJ Ananobi. I have no idea what Jalen Brown was doing. Like, Jalen Brown's just standing there. So they had like three Celtics guarding nobody and they threw it to OJ Ananobi, who it seemed like the longest .5 seconds drains a three now that three like saved the whole Toronto season and everything but I just thought the defense was terrible and that's where you got to give Nick Nurse credit he did what a perfect play he designed it great and he let the Celtics make it sometimes when you design the play it, you're playing in to make the other person make a mistake and Stevens uh, just a terrible mistake so they lose that game and then they go back and they lose game 4 too, the, 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 the in terms of Toronto wins that game 100-93 so now you have tonight coming up a 2-2 series and Toronto's like right where they want to be, and you're Boston, and you're like, I, we're a half a second away from being up 3-0, and we just blew this whole
0: thing. No, absolutely. Yeah, it, It's you got to put people out when you can, and little things like that, I'm not going to be shocked at all if Toronto comes back and wins this series now, and it'd be definitely, a lot of that Game 3 is going to be riding on them, and that they just uh, just started up Game 5 tonight, Boston and Toronto, so we'll have the result of that one uh, in a couple of hours. Um, let's go to the West, Ira. Oklahoma City and, and Houston, I mean, Oklahoma City and Houston, we had two great games there, and uh, let's talk about that. Well, what
1: happened was, you know, again, it's really weird. Houston's just this crazy team. I mean, they're crazy. They shoot, they make it. They don't. But Game <laughs> Six, you, got, you you just got to give. I mean, Westbrook was absolutely horrendous. He was turning the ball over left and right. Chris Paul just had a tremendous game. Oklahoma City had no right to be in a series. Yeah, none at all. I mean, it was it was it was. Absolutely crazy they're too young they're older they're, they're old players are too old, and the young players <laughs> are too young and too inexperienced, and they were still able to, to, to hang in the game and, uh, and to win to win games, to force a seven-game series. And Westbrook, again, six turnovers, 17 points. Harden, see, the thing about Harden is he's a 35-point game score. In the playoffs, he's like at 27 points. Like, he doesn't go up. His points go up. Jimmy Butler's points go up. These other players, superstars, go up. But, well, Harden's averages go down. Like, he's the worst player in the playoffs. And uh, and, and and you, you watch this. And, and Chris Paul had this little, like, Chris Paul was on uh, Houston the last couple of years and he, you know, they traded him. And, and the point was sort of between between demanding a trade and wanting a trade, and they traded Oklahoma City. And it's a sort of like, you know, and not only that, they had to give up. Uh, Oklahoma City had to, to make that trade to get rid of Chris Paul's contract. They had to give two traffic. So that actually it was Paul plus two draft two, two picks to go. I mean, it was, it's a crazy trade in terms of how they did it. But Chris Paul was shown no respect and came in and played great. And then Game 7, uh, you know, Houston's been 0-5 in the last uh, five elimination games. But uh, it was it's where where they you know Oklahoma City had a chance they had a they uh, um, uh, um, Shane Gilders, Alexander took a three to make a lead at one hundred two one hundred one Tucker then scored but uh, Oklahoma City didn't score the rest of the, the last like minute of the game uh, and then they held on to win uh, it was interesting I mean. This Dort uh, for uh, um, Oklahoma City. He is uh, another free guy with free agent, undirected free agent. He was getting paid $132,000 this year, and Harden makes $37 million. And they literally, for the, almost the game seven, played each other the entire game. So if have <laughs> a guy making $132,000 playing someone, guy playing $37 million. But uh, it was, and again, in the final game, Harden, 415, 17 points. Not even, you know, in a game seven to score 17 points, uh, just. Just absolutely pathetic performance, and and that's why I thought when you know I was high on Houston, I'm thinking well they're going to the Lakers and they'll not play well, but of course they win game one. But the point is that was just a, just a weird series, and I was excited to watch it because Houston's an exciting team. You have Westbrook and Harden, you have two MVPs on that team, and then you're playing a like guy that gets like Chris Paul. But look, you got a game seven, so I was excited about that.
0: Yeah, so let's let's move on here. So um, Houston does go go on. And, you know, we talked about how Portland would be kind of a bad um, bad matchup for the Lakers. I think the Rockets have a little bit of that, too, Ira. Not that I would pick them to win the series, but I think that they're going to give them some fits, and this, this series is now tied
1: 1-1. Well, that first game was crazy. I mean, they, they're going there that Westbrook finally got his act together, Harden got his, and then the, the Lakers just, I mean, but this has been like, I think they said, I saw a stat, LeBron has lost 20 game ones. It's like one of these things where he's wow. not ready for game one. I mean, he's not, to, so they're, they lose by 15 15- Game wasn't even. They scored 18 points in the fourth quarter. I mean, just a total. LeBron was seven for 15 shots, 20 points, eight rebounds. Um, didn't really play well at all. Just, a, just, you know, just a terrible performance on that part. But the Lakers come back last night, and they're play, It's you know, it's funny when you play teams. The, the Lakers are so much taller than the Rockets it's like from from playing with Jamal McGee in the game and LeBron and Davis and when they're playing you can see the size i mean it is it is different like i was watching with one of my friends he said well so what's the difference between 6'10 and 6'7 six 6'6 but when every player in the Lakers is 6'10 and, you know it it does you see the difference but then lebron goes they were too fast for us or whatever but then they come the second game and uh and it was like Westbrook was horrendous again 4 for 15 10 points 7 turnovers uh the lakers they were you know <laughs> Almost gave his game away. At one point, they were uh, they, they were they had scored forty one points. In the, the Rockets scored forty one points in the third quarter. They were up 92-90, but only seventeen points in the fourth, and let the Lakers run away with it. Anthony Davis, like, but I don't understand when you watch them, like Anthony Davis and LeBron. It seems like whatever they want to score a dunk, they can just do it. There's no, you have two superstar players that have size advantage, and they can dribble the ball, like just hand it to them and dunk. But they're firing threes up. They're taking like Anthony Davis will get a shot and. And 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 uh and Westbrook will be guarding him or something. And it'll just shoot like a 35-foot gun. It's like just back him up and dunk the ball. Like I just don't sometimes the Lakers I think play so stupid in terms of just getting it. It's almost every time LeBron wants to drive the basket, he can't remember. The Rockets have no center. There's nobody coming over and gonna block them the ball. There's nobody, there's they have no shot blockers. LeBron is the biggest guy on the he's bigger than every single rocket. So I have no idea why he can't score 50 a game, and I don't know why they're firing like he'll come down and fire a 35 foot shot like why just drive the ball
0: (laughs) to the basket every single time no you're absolutely right by the way it's iron sports true oldies channel i'm Mike balsamo along as well so we talked about how we thought denver and utah would be the premier series um of the last round and it turned out to be a really good one
1: yeah i mean it was it was i'll tell you what Diva Mitchell, 57 points, 30 points, 51, 30, 44, 36 points games for the series. And, and Jamal Murray, who averages 18 points in the regular season, he had 36. 36- 14, 12, 50, 42, and 50. So you have these guys, two players, both score 50 points in a series that, between Mitchell and Murray. Tremendous playing. All these teams that passed them on the draft. Uh, Denver was up, up 19 points. I, you, know, you thought this game was a total blood, but I got to give again, you got to give Mitchell credit. He just came back and, and, and hung in there, and they, and they barely hung up at you know, 180 to, you know, how about the score? 80 to 78. But uh, it was like one of those games where uh, we're at that point where the jazz got the rebound and Mike Conley had a 26 foot shot uh, to win the game. And it just went in and out like that ball goes in, times out the jazz. We're talking about the jazz playing the Clippers. So it was like, it was like, it was, just a super exciting game um, and Game Seven to have. I mean, two exciting Game seven. Someone like basketball, like me, I just loved it. I thought it was great, and I like the fact that Murray and Mitchell guarded each other most of the game. Uh, it was, it was, is one of those situations and see Connolly go with that last second shot to try to win it. Uh, but in the final game, Mitchell only he scored twenty two points and Murray scored seventeen. They sort of just, I think, tired themselves out for their for their play. Uh, but uh, uh, it was like it was like one of those games. But still, again, I thought it was just a great Game Seven. And Denver, who I you know coming back from a three-one deficit, Utah was up three-one. They came back and won that.
0: I run Sports these channel. Mike Balsamo here. So so they move on and they're going to play the L.A. Clippers. And this is another one where I I think the Clippers are the better team. You know you think that they're going to move on, but it, it, it's not slouches here. We're going to get a good series. And this one's all tied up at one.
1: It was fun. Unlike the Rockets, are, so I thought the Rockets were going to come in. They are exhausted from a seven-game series. You expect the Lakers to beat them by 50. That's exactly what the Clippers did. <laughs> it was, uh, the score was up by 18 at the half. They won by thirty three in the first game. And then you think the Clippers are going to come back and have this other great game. Like, you're waiting for the Clippers to come back and have a, you know, go up 2-0. And, boy, they play terrible. Finally, Clyde Leonard. You know, he's played great this whole playoff series, which... I'm not as big as fan because a load manager, but he had, he had was four for 17, 13 points, four turnovers. And they end up losing to that, that series is 1-1-2. So, you know, the, the, to, to, put, to reset this, the Lakers in Houston are 1-1, the Clippers in Denver are 1-1, and uh, the Heat are up uh, a 3-1, and then 2-2 Boston-Toronto. It's interesting. They started what they did for the playoffs. It used to be, people were, like, getting confused about how these games are. It used to be they would wait. For the series to start, saying okay, now we're going to start. When well, we might start a series early, and teams would like clinch and then sit a week. But they were yeah. so concerned with COVID. The idea was that wait, if we have a testing or a positive test, we don't want we want we want to get as many games in as possible. So if we have positive tests, we can wait a little. You know, it won't affect it. So you're going to see throughout this whole thing until the finals that once you clinch and the two teams can play, like if if Boston and uh, so Toronto and and the, and the Heat. They'll start playing where the, uh, the West might have to wait another like three or four days to go get started. They're just going to keep playing them every other day, which is great. I like watching playing basketball every other day. But uh, that, that's why, look, I'm pumped for the series. This is a great chance for the Heat. They can look, The Heat, if they play well, can win the NBA championship this year, which would be great. I mean,
0: could you imagine the Heat versus LeBron in the NBA 5? That
1: would be tremendous. I wish the fans, I wish we could be there at the games and watch these games.
0: I'm totally on board with you that the, the, heat, the, the sky's the limit for this Heat team, especially the way they've managed to, you know, Eric Spoelstra's is a great coach, and, and Pat Riley put the team around them, and it seems like they know how to neutralize any team. They may not beat you seven games like that, but their plan for Giannis has been great, and that's this is what they've done all season. Kind of use the the sum of their parts as greater as a whole, and, and they've been really good. And like you said, Ira, I'm not going to be shocked if we see them playing and, in the NBA championship.
1: And the one thing that I'm upset with is I'm watching television, and all they want to talk about in sports talk radio is is Giannis going to come to the Heat because he's a free agent after yeah. next year. And I'm like, I, we like wait, let the Heat win the title this year. Like you have a chance to win the title. Don't wait for Giannis to come to the team to win. It's like 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 use this like you have a chance to win win it now like Toronto last year you got to give them credit like they won the title you had your chance to win it the Warriors got hurt you go and you win the title like winning a title is really hard to do only one team does it every year like don't talk about Giannis coming in two years I'm more, that's I think that's dismissing the Heat I think what they're talking is like the Heat need that no the Heat can win it this year they can beat the Lakers they can beat the Clippers they have a good enough team if they play well with Project playing well and, and Jimmy Butler and the, as I was talking about before the young and the old players and the Duncan. Robinson, like Tyler Hero can, can make mistakes and not play well, and miss some shots, but then you have the, the veterans on the team. It's just a perfect blend. It's like the, it's just totally like a band almost making great music. You know, it's just amazing. I love how the Heat play. And they play well, and I think they have a chance to win it this year. I don't want to talk about Giannis coming to this team. Let this team win a title. Forget about
0: talking about Giannis. Let's uh, move on to the NHL here. Just about 15 minutes or so left here on Ira on sports. So Ira, one of the best series that I've seen in a long time, the Islanders uh, playing Philly and Islanders go up three to one in this series. And then the Flyers just battle back. And despite the Islanders played a lot better than them in game six, but they got the win Islanders once again in game seven, absolutely. were just a better team. They're, it, there's really no question that Barry Trotz is the best coach in the league. They won that. The mid-season acquisition of John Gabriel Pajot from Ottawa, really paying dividends for them as he's ignited that offense to, to just another level. And they're going to be a challenge for anybody. They're going to face off against Tampa Bay, and that series uh, will get started tomorrow night. And then Dallas. You know, we talked about on this show a couple of weeks ago how the most important position in sports is the quarterback. The second most important position in sports is is the hockey goalie and Anton Kadobin is not Dallas's starting goalie typically. They've got Ben Bishop, he's a stud. But Kadobin was just playing great in the prior series. They start him last night against Vegas and he gets a one nothing shutout. So it just proves how the hot hand is something you have to roll with in hockey. I'm really impressed with that. It takes a little bit of courage to start the backup and then to have him get a one nothing shutout really justifies it all, Ira. And speaking of justify he was our winner last year. Let's go, or two years ago. Let's talk some Kentucky Derby. I thought there was no chance Tis the Law could lose this. And as a result, I lost some money on this. <laughs> well, Authentic, it was one of those races. I think you would, at the home
1: stretch, if you were watching it, if you just turned the TV on and said, I bet Tis the Law and we're on the home stretch, I think you'd feel good. Because he was right where he was, right behind Authentic. Yes. Authentic looked like a, it was tiring a little bit. And you talk about second wins and, and second wins in and, and like runners. I mean, Authentic got that win that, that you really didn't expect. I mean, Authentic's not a long shot. I mean, Authentic was the second or third favorite in this and was finished second at the uh Sianna Nia Derby, the AP Indy, and then he went and won the, the Haskell uh, just a, few, uh, a month ago. Uh, so the idea was, though, but I felt like you felt like Tis the Law was going to you know do what he did in Belmont and, and, and certainly in, in, in Monmouth and come in and win this and just. Just didn't – I mean, I think, as someone said – Authentic ran a couple strides faster than it's ever run, and Law ran a couple strides slower, and that's why you had a very good ending of a race, but one where Law finished in second place. It,
0: it, it seemed like he tried to make two moves. And the first move, he kind of got rejected by Authentic, and the second move, he just didn't have the gas in the tank. And, you know, he went to do it, and Authentic just kept running his pace. I was shocked, though. You're absolutely right. Once they came into that back stretch, I'm looking at it like, okay, this is exactly what Law wanted here, and once they put the pedal to the metal, just didn't didn't have the didn't have the fuel or the speed to, to get it done, and I think the betting public is paying the result. I
1: well, I think you know it was interesting with the jockey. So Bob Baffert, that's the Bob Baffert horse. He, he's seen with the white hair and one of the most famous uh, uh, owner uh, trainers. He's won. He's now his sixth Kentucky Derby winner. Uh, and also, it's actually Authentic is owned by something interesting called My Racehorse Stable, where you can buy a micro share for two hundred six dollars of twelve thousand five hundred. So that was it was sort of an IPO of the horse. It was one of the. <laughs> it's not the main owner. It was part of it. But I thought that was cool. Like it's, it's like one of those things where you can have people actually own stock in a horse, which is interesting and different. Um, but I think it was Mike Smith chose to this. Um, uh, Drayton was running authentic for the first four races, and then Mike Smith went on on it on the horse the last race. But then they pulled him. Mike Smith didn't pull. He chose to go on honor AP instead for this race. They put John Velasquez on, who took them out and uh, and ran. And it was you know. But I get you know you want to say the jockey. They both. It was interesting. A P and D authentic and Tisla all were 16, 17, 18. So they broke from the far of the track. And if there was, there were only 15 horses in the race. You wonder if there was the traditional like 20, 21 horses. You know if it, that was like just the slow lowest amount of horses that had, they've ever run. I think in the last like 20, 30 years. But the point was is that with that have made a difference in terms of the number of horses. But authentic had a great win, and 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 that's something. Now it sets up for the previous in a month. Uh, Who's going to run? Who's not going to run? You have the Breeders' Cub, there's a lot of other going in, but the Kentucky River was, with no fans, though, running in there. Um, it was funny. After the race, Authentic was just all fired up and knocked over Baffert in the winner's circle. <laughs> like, you would think that horses get spooked when there's 200,000 fans in the stands. I mean, <laughs> Authentic, there was no fans in the movie. Authentic was spooked because there were no fans in the stands. And, like, what am I doing in a winner's circle now? Like, I don't want to do this. And, uh... Uh, but that was, I didn't even, you know, I, I just, I criticized how NBC does this. They want to run to commercial after commercial after commercial. Like, they don't let the race breed. The race is over. They go right to a commercial. It's just, there's got to be a better way to do horse racing like that. I know they have to make money. I know that's what everybody's watching it. But it just sort of takes away, like, when the horse just wins it and you just go right to a commercial.
0: I, I agree with you. And I, I think it's with every race. I, I kind of don't like the way it's presented. And it gets a little annoying the way they do it and try to squeeze all the ads in. But, like you said, I guess they got to make money. Um, let's go to auto racing. And you've become a really big Formula One fan over the past couple of months, Ira.
1: I, you know what? I probably am not after this because I'm going to get ready for fantasy football every Sunday. <laughs> but it's great to turn on ESPN. Like, I get up, I go for an early morning run. I come back, and I go and I want. It's like every effort. It's like crazy, and I'm stuck watching it, and I'm actually excited watching this race. And We had Neil Bascom, who had the book, Faster, about the Formula 1 racings in the 20s, so that sort of got more interested in how Formula 1 and the history of the teams. And there is, like, you see the McLarens and the Ferraris and the Mercedes. Uh, but this race was fun, too, because Hamilton, who is the greatest racer of all, all-time going to win this year that, you know, we've gone over his, his records, but he got a penalty for pitting the wrong time. Like, you'd think, how does a this great racer, but they pitted the wrong, so he got a 10-second penalty. So he was pushed all the way back to, like, 22nd place. So he has the best car. So it was almost like a video game for him, like, now in the last 25 laps, like, passing car after car after car, trying to get up to the top, to the front, and it's harder. But so, you, so it was, like, this thing, like, let's channel, Hamilton, it's so easy for you to win when you have the best car, and you're this, but let's show you're driving. And he's, like, the greatest driver you've ever seen. And this guy, Pierre Gasly, was uh was uh is a, a young racer for Alpha tour team and it was the first time since twenty twelve that Red Bull Mercedes Ferrari was on top three. Uh but he ended up holding up Carlos Sainz who it was like, it, again, it was really close. And, and Carlos, and when the race ended, he goes, I just want He started crying. He goes, I just wanted one more lap. One more lap, I'm going to pass him. <laughs> and it was, and it, was, it was one of those things where the last half lap. He was trying to pass them, and they were blocking and passing. So pretty exciting. I mean, I just, it was exciting. Hamilton working his way back to seventh place. But I'm pumped for just left the f And then just to jump to, to NASCAR a little bit, Darlington, which was the first race when they came back from the uh, COVID shutdown. They had 8,000 fans in the stands. And uh, Martin Truex Jr. and Chase Elliott were battling, they were leading the whole race. They were battling for, uh, for the first to win with a few laps to go they, they they sort of crash each other they weren't both knocked out of the race uh, they were they they knocked one and they both they go in the pits and Kevin Harvick ended up taking the lead and uh, and ended up winning the race so Kevin Harvick is continuing another you know dominant year in what he's been doing so that's a good you know certainly that was an exciting NASCAR race that I caught too but I got the F1 too so I, I got the auto racing bug here I think <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oh it's Iron Sports we're on the True Oldies channel I'm Mike Balsamo let's go to Baseball, Ira, and we've got just about uh, eight or so minutes left here on the show. The AL kind of set. I-, I mean, we know what we're going to see here, and we've seen you know some ups and downs from the Yankees, like we talked about. But um, we kind of know who we're going to see in the entire uh, AL side of the of the shakeout. I mean, the the big
1: shock is look, people. We had uh, Harrison on our show. He liked the White Sox a lot. They won seven out of ten games. This player, Luis Roberts from Cuba, has play great. I mean, as a rookie, the player of the month last month. Uh, but the White Sox, Indians, and Twins are all in the AL Central doing you know where they are. The A's and the Astros. Even the Astros lost four in a row Have the West. There's, there's no chance. Like we, We're naming the teams. And Toronto has come on and played great the last week. I mean, they're playing well. Probably, you know, and then you have Tampa, 2013. The Yankees, six and a half games back, 21-9, four and six in the last ten. They've lost three in a row. They're losing to the Orioles. The Derek, Garrett Cole was getting beat. I mean, yeah. Garrett Cole won, like, you know, what, 22 straight starts where he didn't lose. Now he's lost two consecutive starts. What is it? I mean, the he's whole leading team, the league in home runs get, allowed. <laughs> I saw that stat. I know. Is that Like, you're looking, I'm like, well, that has to be wrong. That, <laughs> how can you have a guy that you signed for $400 million is leading the league? And oh, yeah, what, some of my buddies, you know, they said you traded the Yankees. And the pressure gets to them. I'm like, the pressure. There's not a person in the stands. Like there's they're playing in front of nobody. How is the pressure getting to Garrett Cole? Wait till there's forty thousand fans booing them in the stands. Then maybe <laughs> feel the pressure. But I you got the Yankees still a 21-t at twenty one Look, if the Yankees don't make the playoffs, it would, they would have to probably there's only like eighteen games left in the season. They'd have to probably go six and twelve or something not to make it, which would be ridiculous. But the fact that they're they're six and a half behind Tampa, which has a payroll, you know, their payroll is five times what Tampa's payroll is. It's just insane. And uh, uh, I mean, everyone would have been fired. As I said before earlier in the show, uh, this is... This performance of the Yankees, I I, have, I can't believe they haven't fired them. I mean, it's just it's just this. It, I don't care about injuries. They have enough players. That they're playing terrible. They're playing terrible. They're playing listless. You turn the game on, they are just not exciting. Uh, they are they're awful, and they're and, and I just think that there's no fire. And they have even their second team. It's just and you, you compare them to like a team like the Dodgers, who we thought were going to be great and are great, but uh, but the the Yankees are the story for the AL East. But these are the eight teams that you got. Those three teams, and it doesn't matter. People say, oh, who's the first seed? The this seed? You got. Home no, it's going to be. They're going to have eight teams. You're going to have a best of, best of three series. That's what it is.
0: And it's funny, I think listless is the best word for how you describe the Yankees because that's what you see night in and night out. And, I mean, did it? Did you need to see 40 games from Gary Sanchez and his his 130 batting average to, to put him on the bench for a game? I mean, things like this where they're just sticking to, well, let's go out there and hit a bunch of home runs, and if we don't, we lose. That's not championship baseball, Ira, and that's why we're seeing the Yankees in the position they are, and they're going to have to fix this if they have any plans on advancing um, through the AL Um, let's talk NL because it's a little bit more open here. And I, there's a couple of teams I really like.
1: Well, I think, well, two teams, there's only two teams out of it. Like right now with the NL and you have with the Marlins playing 35 games. So they have catch up to do the Cardinals have played 32. So they have catch up to do. You have some teams that played more. So, so there's in terms of those games, but, uh, Pirates are 13-26 in the Washington Nationals. The defending <laughs> champions are 14-25. I mean, with Juan Soto, who's having a great year, but it just, I mean, to think where, the, again, last year the Nationals had a bad start also to the year, but this year they don't have, the they, they game series is going to be over, You know, the season is going to be over in three weeks. Not like they don't have uh, months and months to come back, but it's crazy that the Nats, the Nats are going to miss the playoffs this year and, uh, and have won the World Series the following year in a year where almost every single team, eight of the 15 teams, gets in.
0: I run Sports Truel, the channel. Five minutes left to go. We talked about it. We didn't know what was going to happen with NCAA football, and now it is upon us. And we're going to get to see our Miami Hurricanes play this week.
1: <laughs> UAB at Miami on Thursday night, and then on Saturday. You know, you know how I love front of the TV. If I'm at a sports bar, I'm like, put this on this here, put this channel, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, turn the ACC network. Like, you know, I'm asking stations that they don't know, like Fox yeah. Sports <laughs> Two, like. We don't never heard of Fox Force Two. Like what's Fox? I, you know, you know FS One. What is that? Um, we got it going. I mean, and then. There are some interesting games for this first week. You have Syracuse at, U- at UNC. UNC has, a, has some uh, is, is a, it was potentially had some players sit out for COVID, but it was going to be a good team. Then you have a two thirty Duke at Notre Dame. I mean, that's that's an exciting game. Duke at Notre Dame get to see Notre Dame play. And how about Georgia Tech at Florida State at three thirty? And then you get to see the number one team in the country, Clemson at Wake Forest at seven thirty. So for the first week of football, I like the schedule. It's pretty good. Next week's probably not as good as this week's, but but then you're going to get you'll have another another week, and then you're going to start getting the secs going to come and start playing their games but you have the big 12 and the acc playing the first two weeks and then you have the sec starting the third week no big 10 and no Pac 10 playing
0: so ira nfl is here we will see a kickoff on thursday night everyone's been waiting for this we love football across the country and of course on this show what are you looking forward to
1: well chiefs and texans on thursday night and in terms of deshaun watson signing the big contract. Uh, I I think look th- like this year what we're, what we're trying to do is is, is you're, you're looking at the Chiefs in terms of is 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 the, are they going to take that next step are they going to become the Patriots are, have we seen the changing of the guard really with Brady leaving and, and it is the, are the Chiefs going to become this dominant every week you're going to see Mahomes play and I interesting in fantasy a lot of people think his numbers are going to be down I, I don't know why people think his numbers are going to be down. Like, no he has as many weapons as he has last year. Clyde edwards Talaire could be the best running back they've ever had with him. It, it, there's a potential he could be. I mean, that's why he's being drafted third and fourth in fantasy leagues. Um, I think that's really what you want to say. I mean, there's so many great storylines. I mean, I, I just run through. I'm just going to run through maybe the AFC East a little bit. How about the Pats, Bills, and Vince? I mean, the Dolphins were starting Ryan Fitzpatrick, but two is healthy. I mean, they, they got rid of Josh Rosen, knowing that is going to be playing. We're going to see Tua play this year, where the Finns are going to go, and the Bills with, with, uh, with Josh Allen, like, is this... Are they for real? Is the defense going to be great? I mean, uh, is, it, is this year they're going to beat the... Is the Patriots finally not going to win the division? And then you have Cam Newton, and everyone's like, I love being a Patriot, and Belichick's Cam Newsome's the best quarterback we ever had here, and what the Patriots are going to do. So, it's like, you, know, you have a wide-open AFC, and then, you know, I'm a Steelers fan, and then you've got the same cast of characters, but you got got the Steelers, of course, with Ben coming back healthy, Ravens, you know what happened last year? You, the fact that they lost in the playoffs last year to the Titans could that motivate them? Could that make them even fire? Like, look, we we took the Titans, we didn't take them seriously, we blew it. And then you got the Browns. This is like you know the make or break year for Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham and all those things that you saw were excited about last year from this year. And then you go to the Bengals. You got Joe Burrow, who does who people think is remember Joe Burrow is twenty five years old. He's not twenty whatever. He's not a you know he, there he's going to step in and be the star for the, for the Bengals and how good the Bengals are going to be. So I mean, those, from those two divisions, I'm pumped about.
0: No, absolutely, and AJ Green now is uh, listed as supposed to play Week One. He hadn't been practicing, and that'll be a huge boost for uh, Joe Burrow and, and the Bengals.
1: Yeah, and then you go to the to the south. The Titans. I mean, what, you know, what a great run they had last year. But is this the type of team with Henry running the game and Tanya, at quarterback? Are they just going to be this dominant team? Are they going to roll through the Texans and the Colts with Philip Rivers now at the quarterback? You know, like what's that going to be? What's that going to happen? And the only team that's not exciting is Jaguars. I mean, Jaguars are terrible; they lose <laughs> every game. Um, but you got the Tex Titans, Texans, and Colts. So these are all exciting. And then in the West, you have the Chiefs, but the Chargers. Look, I mean, everybody likes the Chargers. They seem to have this, you know, a, a good team and Taylor, and with their defense improved. Uh, the Broncos could be sneaky, and the Raiders moving to Las Vegas. Unfortunately, they're not playing in front of the fans in Vegas. But I mean, there's a storyline for every one of these teams. But, but really, it's the, pay, the Patriots and the Chiefs. If the Chiefs, where will, how will, far will the Patriots fall, and will the Chiefs cement themselves as like we're going to be going to the Super Bowl? You better pencil Patrick Mahomes in and for the next ten years. They're <laughs> the favorite every single year, and that's what I think. So that's the somebody of the AFC. But for a Steeler fan, I'm like, no, oh, the Steeler defense is loaded. Like the Steelers are going to be great, and Ben's going to be back. Healthy and I and I think this is the year. And we have all the distractions of Labian Bell and Antonio Brown. They're all gone. Ben's now healthy, so I still stand. I'm pumped. Like I'm not willing to concede this division to the Ravens at all.
0: Ira, we got just about a minute left. What do you think the NFC storylines here? clearly the Buccaneers.
1: I mean, they're the number one storyline. I mean, T- I mean T- Kansas City and Tampa, who I think are going to be in the Super Bowl, but I think that's the storyline. Can the Buccaneers win their division? Is Brady real? Like, there's not, we're going to have, I mean, if, if they didn't make all these moves and bring in Fournette and have G- Gronkowski there and have, and now you have this great, these great wide receivers and Godwin and Evans and, and just loaded O.J. O.K. Howard. And, I mean, there are so many weapons for Brady and all this excitement at Tampa Bay and whoever thought that Bruce Arians is their coach and this mastermind. Is this a team And then they're going against the Saints, Um, you know. And then the NFC West, the Niners and the Seahawks and the Rams and the Cards. I mean, really, the Cards are really improved this year. The Rams, what happened last year? Super Bowl two years ago. uh, You have the Seahawks, Russell Wilson just looking dominant again in terms. And the Niners have won the Super Bowl. I mean, the NFC West seems like any one of those four teams can come out of it. I just am pumped. And you have in the NFC East, you have the Cowboys and the Eagles uh, both. Besides Washington, which should be horrendous, and the Giants. I'm not sold on. I'm not going to get. So pumped up about that team. But I really think your, your teams are going to come from the Buccaneers and Saints in that division and then the Niners, Seahawks, and Rams. Maybe the card's coming up. But but I think when – and remember this year, the one thing about the NFL is the number one seed to have the revised playoff format. So the number one seed gets the buy. So it's they're going to have that extra playoff game. So being number one seed is really important. And I think Houston Bucks will be the number one seed, and I think Houston Bucks are going to be to the Super Bowl.
0: We are out of time. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.